Hey guys, and welcome back to the most bizarre show on the internet. We are the connoisseurs of strange, navigating the treacherous waters of the unknown, diving deep into the Mariana Trench of weird information, and then surfacing up to the swirling vortex of the Bermuda Triangle to bring you guys the most bizarre encounters imaginable, then dissecting them with the skill of a pathologist to theorize what exactly is going on in this bizarre reality we all reside in. We are the Bizarre Crew. I am Shane, broadcasting shirtless and possibly pantsless. That's for you guys to decide from the Mitten State. Don't tease us. And I'm Oren. <laughs> and I'm Jenny. <laughs> That's completely for the listeners and for you guys to decide, because at least on the camera, you guys don't know. I mean, I could have boxers on. I could be completely naked. Like, who fucking knows? Well, we did just see a little peek when you uh, got up to move the cat bowl. So, Well, I guess you guys know. I, I could have changed it. You know, I could have sat down. I could have threw down the pants. So, like, who fucking knows? Ripped your pants off like you're in the fucking NBA or something. Exactly. Bizarre Encounters, only fan, where you have to pay us to keep our clothes on. There you go. <laughs> we're be quitting our jobs in no time. <laughs> if only the listeners knew what they looked like. I feel like most of these listeners that we have, they probably don't know what we look like. But if you're curious, go on the Instagram. But you won't find me shirtless or not wearing pants, unfortunately. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> Yet. Yet. <laughs> Until you start paying me not to do it. <laughs> but uh, what's new in uh, your guys' neck of the woods before we get into this awesome show that we have today for everybody? So this week has kind of been a shit show for us over here. So long story short, about a year and a half ago, I put an order in for a truck. And, you know, with like supply chain, production issues, all that kind of stuff, it's been pushed back like, what, three or four times? Oh, yeah. So easily. uh, We're recording this on a Friday. So we're supposed to go pick up the truck tomorrow on Saturday. So... For the past, you know, week or so, my current car has had a light in the dashboard, like a uh, check charging system. I was like, man, the car's running fine. I'm trading this thing Fuck in. This shit. Yeah, <laughs> trading this thing in in a week, not worrying about it. So, like I said, today is Friday. We're supposed to pick up the car tomorrow. On Tuesday, I went to the bank to get the uh, cashier's check for the car. So, go back out to the car after. Um, Getting the cashier's check won't start. I was like, okay. Hopefully it's just the battery, which I knew it wasn't because the battery is only like four months old. So uh, luckily the bank I went to is like right around the corner from my office. So I called somebody from work and they came and jumped me, started up. I was like, all right, I'm just going to go straight to AutoZone, make sure it's not just a dud battery or whatever. But I'm pretty sure it's like the alternator at this point. So anyway, I get like maybe a mile from the bank. And then, like, my radio cuts off. And then, like, the lights cut off. And then all the gauges stop working. And I'm like, oh, shit, this is getting bad. So I'm just <laughs> like, I, I got to just fucking limp this thing home at this point. And so I'm, like, merging onto a pretty big road uh, to get home. And, like, as I'm coming on the on-ramp, like, the car completely cuts off. Like, dead. Just nothing. So I, like pull in front of like three lanes of traffic into the median, uh, called my buddy 
from work that gave me the jump. Uh, he took me home. So uh, big shout out to my buddy Jimmy Underwood at work. But, uh, Jimmy, you're the savior. <laughs> yes, he was the real MVP. Or one of them anyway. So Jenny's got AAA. So I called her and told her what was going on. She gets home from work. We call AAA, you know, sit on the side of the road. They tow it. Yada, yada, yada. Uh, ends up it is the alternator. So long story short, on top of you know dealing with the dealership and insurance and all that kind of shit this week, I had to pay $700 for a new alternator for a car that I'm trading in in three days. <laughs> How so. much is the trade-in? Was it even worth getting the $700 alternator? Are you like stuck at like 300 bucks trade-in value now or some shit? Well, I mean, they're going to give me at Close. least... Uh, yeah, they're going to give me probably like a couple grand, but I had to get the car down there. Yeah, so, we've got to take it. So Yeah, so like the dealership I'm picking the truck up from is like 100 miles away. So like we've got to get the car there to trade it in. So Ooh, that's anyway, rough. Otherwise, you could have just yeah. pushed it down the damn street. But like it's in yeah, the drive yeah. line, driveway. Well, it's all that mattered. To, to the dealership. But anyway, so that's uh, that's been my week. But um, hopefully tomorrow this time all this will be fixed and behind us. But. Yeah, it's been a fun one over here. It's going to be really funny when you get the car to the dealership and they're going to be like, all right, put it in the back. We're going to destruct it. And you'll be like, God damn it, give me the $700 fucking piece out of it. Hey, hey good riddance at this point. I mean, somebody asked me today, they're like, so you going to uh, misdrive around the Mustang? Like, nope, nope, done at this point. Oh, the cr- good old crowd controller. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, it, it was just class classic Mercury retrograde. Yeah. He goes, are we, are we in a Mercury retrograde? I was like, we <laughs> yeah, so when it was getting pulled up on the record, like, Mercury retrograde. <laughs> you know, I don't think anyway. I've had too fucked up of a week, weirdly enough, or it being like Mercury retrograde, all that kind of shit. I feel like the only weird thing that happened was uh, my supervisor trying to tell me that I'm going to have to work Saturdays, and I'm still waiting for the opportunity to be like, nah, bro, sorry, can't do it. But <laughs> other than that, but that's going to be a quick conversation because there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Like, I got kids, bro. Like, I'm not working weekends. I do the show. Like, kiss my ass. <laughs> Well, no, basically uh, that week you had when your computer crashed and all that good stuff, I had my version of that week this week. So anyway, maybe uh, maybe we're behind uh, or we got all that kind of shit behind us for a while. So I almost had a panic attack as we went to start because as I was trying to come into the studio, uh, I was doing that good old camera won't load, microphone won't load. I'm like, I swear to God, bro, if this fucking computer has a problem again, I'm going to throw this yeah. thing out the damn window. <laughs> Mercury retrograde. Don't we only have like two more days? I'm going to jinx yeah. it, though. Knock on wood. Yeah, we're almost done with it. Didn't we you really say, like, are. the 14th or something? I think so. I can't remember. Yeah, we're but. almost done. All right. And on that note, all you listeners out there, you know the normal stuff to do. Reach out to us on uh, Instagram or through our email, which is bizarreencounters@outlook.com. Any topics you want us to cover, any guests you want us to have, any artists or researchers that want to contribute, uh, get up with us that way or through the um, the submission form on the link tree. And just an extension of that too, uh, if anybody has any contributions that they want to throw into local lore for future episodes, and uh, of course, sharing your guys' encounters, uh, whether you want us to read them on the show, uh, possibly be a guest on the show off of that, but if anybody wants to submit their encounters uh, so that we can read them, we'd definitely love to do that because we want to eventually get to a point where it kind of builds up where we can essentially kind of do at least a listener encounter in the beginning of each episode every week. So the only way we'll be able to do that is with your guys' contribution. So anything that you guys do is definitely appreciated. Even if it's a, just a weird, bizarre encounter or a paranormal encounter you've had at your house, we still would love to hear it and share it on the show. And uh, if you guys aren't already, uh, don't forget to go and follow us on social media. Uh, we're all over the internet. Uh, the main one that I'm the most active on is Instagram. So if you guys are trying to get a hold of us, that's probably uh, one of the best means to do so. And to get some news on anything going on with the show, that's definitely one of the best ones to do. Uh, we've been building up the Discord. So we made it a little bit easier to navigate, uh, switched around some groups, uh, tried to bounce in activity. And uh, it's been working pretty well. So if anybody wants to pop into there, it's been pretty fun. Um, definitely appreciate it. And the only way that's ever going to build up and form into a complete community is with, again, all of your guys' help. And uh, just some kind of partial news as far as the telegram goes uh just like the discord it's all the open minds media discord so you know it kind of incorporates everything that we're doing um i now changed over the telegram to the open minds media telegram so with that there was more people that were involved in the uh, inquiries of our reality one so i renamed that one the open minds media 
uh, telegram. And then I got rid of the bizarre encounters telegram. So if anybody's curious where that went, that's where it went. Now it's just incorporated as part of the same telegram. So if anybody's more of a telegram person than a discord person, uh, that's where it's at. Go and check out the uh, open minds media telegram. And if you guys want to support the show, there's multiple ways to do so. Uh, number one, of course, for this show would be to, uh, Go and check out the op- the Open Minds Media merch store. You can pick yourself up some awesome uh, Bizarre Encounters and Bite Size Bizarreties gear. Uh, you guys can also go on to the Patreon if you want to get early access to episodes, uh, lives of specific episodes, depending on you know if we feel like going live as far as doing these dives until we get a little bit better with uh, some of the reading on some of the confusing stuff because there's a lot of stagnant air at certain points. But you know, as far as the interviews go, those are definitely going to be over on the Patreon, so that's something to go and check out. Uh, there's also going to be some exclusive giveaways and stuff going on in the future. Um, we're also going to be have ex- exclusive merch store discounts that are specific to tiers. So if any of you guys want to go and get yourself a Bizarre Encounter shirt and become part of the Patreon, uh, you'll get yourself a little bit of a discount if you join the Patreon first, of course. And uh, the third way to support the show is you guys can donate directly to the show through Red Circle. Uh, all of that, any donations, anything that we get is all going towards us being able to event some events this year. So kind of beneficial on all aspects. If you guys want to be able to sit down and have a conversation with us at a convention, uh, we want to be able to have some stuff on our table so you guys can, you know, not just see a blank table that's sitting there. Cause that's no fun. You know, you at least want to see some logos, different stuff up. So <laughs> all of that. And, uh, if you guys aren't already, of course, and you guys haven't, I definitely recommend going and checking it out. Crypto theology. Uh, the newest ones that I've seen, uh, if anybody's a fan of the crow, he recently made a Mothman design that's the crow style. So it's pretty damn sweet. You know, like the 90s uh, movie slash comic book series. Uh, the other one that I saw that he just recently dropped is a new one for the Van Meter Visitor. So anybody that's interested in that, definitely recommend going and checking out those designs. He's been adding a bunch of stuff in bulk lately. So there's always something new. And I'm sure by the time uh, this show comes out, there'll probably be two more new designs. So, oh, that's the other one I forgot to mention. Dark Watchers. That one's pretty damn pretty damn sweet too. You guys definitely go check that one out. Oh, and as always, all this shit's in the link tree in the show notes. So check that motherfucker out. All right, Shane, why don't you uh, tell the listeners what we got going on on tonight's episode? So as an extension of what we were doing last week, because we were talking about the Wendigo and the Wachuge, uh, this one is still kind of fitting into the category of native cannibal creature lore, kind of as we've titled the series. Um, But this one is going to be a little bit different than the last one. Um, With a lot of these different cannibalistic creatures, uh, there's not giant explanations of them because as everybody knows with a lot of Native American stuff, um, it's very word of mouth tradition. So this episode will be a little bit different than the last one in the aspect of it's just going to kind of touch base on a bunch of different Native American cannibalistic uh, creature lore, I guess you could say. Anything that I kind of felt kind of fit into that category might be a thing of interest to you guys. But the main thing that's a component of it is that it's supposed to be Native American creatures that are, they start off as a human, get turned into something, and then they become cannibalistic because of that. And in this one, we're going to touch base on the smaller ones, like I said. And then the last part of the series, uh, there's another bigger dive that we have. And then we're going to talk about, uh, I don't, I don't want to give it away yet, but another possible theory on what all of this could be. But uh, as far as today... Uh, this one should be a pretty fun one, uh, but just as a dic- disclaimer before we start, uh, a lot of these words, because like I said, it's all, it's hard to kind of find on the internet, so in turn, it's kind of hard to like find people talking about all this stuff on the internet, so a lot of the pronunciation is going to be us taking our absolute best guess at it, so hopefully you guys uh, can kind of get the point and kind of look over it, but in the process of that, if anybody wants to be able to look stuff up, because at least for me, when I listen to podcasts, I like being able to look stuff up after if it interests me. Uh, if it's a confusing word to us, we're going to spell it out for you guys. So, you know, at least you guys can figure it out yourselves if you want to. But, um, today I guess I won't be as heavy with the reading. Uh, so I'll be passing it over to Oren to do some of this reading and I'll do the harder parts of the reading just because, uh, I guess I have, a little bit easier of a tongue when it comes to the uh, Native American words coming with, uh, you know, my na- my grandma speaking uh, certain words when I was a kid. I kind of, you get your brain incorporated into that method of thinking. And I was trying to explain to them how to do it before. And it's kind of a weird thing. You kind of just blend all your words together and forget about syllables, but. <laughs> yeah, we're sticking Shane with the hard part yeah. today. So, but yeah. uh, Jenny, you want to go ahead and get us rolling? Sure. And uh, thank you. Shane, for that disclaimer, (laughs) please don't anybody come for us. (laughs) We are doing our best on this one, but we are going to start it off with the Wittico. 
There are also Witko, similar cannibalistic creatures in cultures of northern Canada tribes. These dudes can be human or non-human, and whatever their powers are typically, they typically involve cannibalism to some degree. Not fun. Witko are evil man-eating giants of the Cree mythology. Witkos play the role of monsters and boogeyman in some legend and others. Cree people who commit sin, especially selfishness, gluttony, and cannibalism, are turned into Witko as punishment. The appearance of a Witko is huge, monstrous, and made, oh, hold on, and made up or coated in ice. In some Cree stories, looking directly at a Witko can leave a person paralyzed and helpless against it. Witko's heart is said to be made of ice, and the monster can only be permanently killed if its heart is completely melted. I knew that one sparked you up as soon as we started going, because as soon as they, she said that specific word, I saw you, you're already writing. <laughs> <laughs> No, so like it just seems like the giants thing keeps popping mm -hmm. up a lot, like in a lot of the stuff we've talked about and like research lately. I mean, that might be a, a series we've got to do at some point because it seems like just here in the past few months, we've seen a lot of that kind of stuff pop up. So. I mean, with this one specifically, on the last episode, the listeners remember I was talking about this concept about there could be this could be something that happens if you resort to cannibalism being a human. And that being said, there could be a giant that does it, and then there could be a person that does it. And in this specific case, I would assume that it's a giant who resorts to cannibalism specifically, and it's not necessarily like a human that gets turned into a giant monster. Like I get the impression of it already being a giant. Yeah, yeah, kind of going back to a little bit of the Nephilim Anunnaki type stuff like we were talking about in part one. Mm-hmm. And uh, one other thing I thought was kind of interesting about this one is uh, the fact here it says leaves a person paralyzed. To me, that just kind of sounded like, you know, a lot of reports in Bigfoot, Sasquatch type sightings. People say, you know, the Oz effect type thing where they just couldn't move and they were paralyzed and they like don't know why they didn't take a picture or something like that. So I don't know if that has anything to do with other cryptid sightings, but it, it kind of kind of perked my interest a little bit. I feel like it's more of like a fear state. Cause I mean, if you're seeing a giant cannibalistic creature, of course you're going to freeze for a minute. And uh, just to give a shout out to uh, Justin from Cryptids of the Corn. I heard a mention on a show recently about how a human, when you, because we're typically an apex predator, uh, when we're put into a situation where we're not the apex predator, uh, you, you're, you don't know how to react because we're not typically in that situation as a species. So when you are thrown in that situation, your brain freezes so that you can think to figure out what you're supposed to do because your brain's not normally used to reacting in that situation. So like the paralysis part of this may just straight be off of fear and not knowing how to react to seeing a giant cannibalistic creature. Because, I mean, assumably anybody would fucking freeze at least for two seconds to try to figure out what the hell it was. Yeah. <laughs> or a giant Bigfoot at that point. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> this, is, this is actually what happens if a Sasquatch eats a Sasquatch. Like, we're going to throw out the giant idea. It's, it's fucking cannibalistic Sasquatches. <laughs> Sasquatch on Sasquatch crime. <laughs> Squatch on Squatch. Yeah. That sounds like it could be a porno. Ugh. Like one of those weird <laughs> fan, fan pornos. Squatch on Squatch. You're the shirtless one over there, man. <laughs> I'm not hairy enough. <laughs> Just on my face. That's about all I got going. <laughs> if it was back in the 70s, bro, I'd have like a full fucking look like I was wearing a damn shirt, you know, and then I could probably play it off. All I'd have to do is wear a mask. We're going with back in the 70s full. Well, I, we could have went <laughs> directions with that. So. <laughs> full hair everywhere, my friend. Full hair everywhere. And this has been Bizarre Encounters After Dark. Yes, yes. Subscribe to the OnlyFans. That's Smash that said. subscribe button. <laughs> Please subscribe. <laughs> to not okay. let us do it. Because yeah. we're just going to set up a pay. No, we're going to set up a kickstart. So if you don't want to mm. sue an OnlyFan, then there's going to be a kickstart. And if you guys don't fund the kickstart, then you're going to release the fucking Pandora's box. No, I'm just fucking around. We won't really do that. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> don't don't really be looking out for else. an OnlyFan or a kickstart. I ain't e-begging over here. <laughs> Okay, so moving on to the next one. This is called Stone Coat or Stone Coats. Stone Coat is the name of a mythological rock giant. There's a rock giant. All right, a giant of the Iroquois-speaking tribes. 
In some tribal traditions, there is only one stone coat, while in others, there is a whole race of them. Stone coats are described as being about twice as tall as humans and their bodies covered in hard rock scales that repel. I read that wrong. And their bodies covered in rock hard scales that repel all normal weapons. They are associated with winter and ice and they hunt and eat humans. In some legends, stone coats were once human, then became cannibal monsters as a curse punishing them for Sorry, pause. Turn page. <laughs> Evil deeds. Like the Wendigos of Chippewa mythology and other legends, stone coats were never human, but were a tribe of primordial man-eating monsters created by Flint. What do y'all think about that? I still get the whole like Sasquatch covered in mud impression off of it. Yeah, <laughs> and people theorizing the stories. With like uh, Sasquatch, there's like legends about Sasquatch type beings made out of rock or whatever and uh, kind of a throwback to our local lore episode you know that was a uh, theory about why some people reported the lizard man as a lizard man and not a Sasquatch is because it had mud caked in its fur from the swamp so I think this one hits on a lot of different points. Do you talk about synchronicity? It seems like, well, this happens like constantly with the show. Like, I don't even think the listeners realize how constant this happens that we'll be talking to somebody or talking about something. And then like the following week, there's something that falls like perfectly into that. Like it's, it's almost like weird how often that happens. It's almost every episode we get one of them that it's like almost like a playoff of something we were saying on the last episode. We already got two so far. Like, fuck. Well, yeah, I had a weird one this week. So, you know, we were talking a little bit about, um, you know, we've got that uh, Withville, Virginia UFO festival coming up. So I ordered kind of the book about that UFO flap just so I could educate myself prior to the convention. And in the book, I was reading it just the other day. There's like a whole section about, and this is uh, kind of a teaser to a future episode about like Edgar Casey, and you know he's the sleeping prophet. Um, has the ARE Center in Virginia Beach which is something else we've kind of got on deck. So it was like, you know, just uh, like you said, a weird synchronicity that popped up. Two things were kind of kicking around for the show ended up in the same book. So. I'm actually uh, really looking forward to that one too, because that's going to be the first that we do of everybody knows bite size Bizarities fireside tales. That's going to be the first one. Actually, I don't know if I've announced this on the show yet, but bite size Bizarities tales from beyond. That's where we're going to be keeping the whole UFO slash uh, weird time slip sounding, whatever you want to call it. like all the futuristic sounding shit. Um, <laughs> bite size bizarre tales from beyond. God, I'm so excited about that. So it fun. should be a good one. I got okay. the theme song in the process of being made everybody. Well, that's the most important part. We've got the name and the theme song. Yeah. <laughs> After that, you already got the structure. You just run with it with a microphone. Yeah, we're good to go, man. <laughs> okay. So, um, the next one we're going to touch on, Yet again, I think we've got the pronunciation right. Miwu, Miwu. For anybody that wants to know how did that spell to look it up, it's kind of a weird one. It's a M H U W E or M H W E. Just want to throw that one in there. Thank you. Okay, Miwu is a man-eating ice giant, another giant mm-hmm. of Lenape legend, like the Wendigo of the Ojibwa and Cree tribes. Not many tales of Miwu were ever recorded, but like the better known Wendigo, Miwu was a fearsome monster associated with starvation, cannibalism, and sin. A person who tasted human flesh or went mad from cold might turn into a Miwu. And in at least one Lenape legend, a Miwu monster that is treated kindly and given civilized food to eat can turn back into a human. Stories of Miwu are usually found around Delaware. Hmm. Okay. See, this is where we're getting to a point now that I was trying to kind of show everybody that it's like, there's definitely different differentiations between all of these, but there's definitely also a lot of like combining factors that it's like, it almost seems like you can put this like native American cannibal lore with like specific like guidelines. And then as soon as, as long as it hits like three of those, like you can put it into like this category because it's like you have like five things and then each of these at least touch on two of them, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, it's like we say all the time on the show, it's, a lot of this boils down to 
what people want to call things. And I think, you know, it's very possible that a lot of these legends, well, some of them could be talking about different things. A lot of them could be talking about the same thing. And it's just how the legends progressed and what the people decided to call them throughout the years and centuries at this point. See, the only one that seems a little bit different to me is the stone coats. But at the same time though, like the stone coats could theoretically be this, but with our added piece to it, that it has dried mud on it. Like, with the whole uh, uh, scape or swamp lizard man. Uh, yeah. yeah. Or, you know, it's also possible, I guess, that at some point all these legends, you know, they got their wires crossed and they picked, you know, apart from this Sasquatch legend and apart from this cannibal legend and we ended up with something new. So, I mean, that's kind of where the lore seems to come in too, though, because when you think about like the typical depiction of like a Wendigo, like they're always big giant creatures. So you see that kind of like get incorporated even to like the pop culture lore. And then the only aspect that I feel drastically changed for the sake of assumably probably English speaking people talking about it and changing up it and trying to make the whole uh, native American folklore look a little bit different. They added the whole animal aspect to it so that it had like that, kind of like pagany kind of feel to it so that I feel like the average like white person coming and hearing these stories from the tribes would take it as demonic rather than it being like native folklore. Like it was, it, it's just white, almost like in a weird way, like whitewashing the stories where you get the modern depiction of like what people think like a Wendigo is. Now, is this the first one that um, we've read about that can turn back into human? I, d- I don't remember. I think that, do we need to, do we touch base on that on the last episode with the Wachuge? I think the Wachuge may have had a possibility okay. of turning back. Okay. All right, so now we're going to talk about a native cannibal creature called the Chinu, and that's spelled C-H-E-N-O-O or C-H-E-N-U. That way it's easier to pronounce it because it looks a little bit more <laughs> how it should be said. Yeah, Chinu. No, Chinu. Chinu. Anyway, Chinus are evil man-eating here again, ice giants of northern Wabanaki legends, usually associated with the Micmac, Maliseet, and Passamakote tribes. A Chinu was once a human being who either became possessed by an evil spirit or committed a terrible crime, especially cannibalism or withholding food from a starving person, causing his heart to turn to ice. In a few legends, a human has been successfully rescued from the frozen heart of a Chinoo. But usually once a person has been transformed into a Chinoo, their only escape is death. Chinoo are generally described as larger than the average man, getting bigger the hungrier they are. They have sharp fangs which stand out due to their lips having been chewed off. Chinoo used to be human, being corrupted by dark magic and cursed to eat people's flesh. Their bodies become excruciatingly warm, forcing them to live out in the snow. Most stories take the point of view of the Chinu rather than the humans. There are a few ways to kill a Chinu, usually requiring doing so more than once. Some versions say the only way to ensure that they are truly dead is to chop up their bodies into multiple pieces. There is no way of destroying the Chinu except by destroying their icy heart, either by tricking them into eating salt or forcing them into eating so much that they throw it up. That salt thing sounds kind of, you know, like the typical paranormal thing, kind of weird, right? Yeah, like salt rings and salt under the bed. And and yeah. Keeping it, the evil away. Yeah, I actually underlined that in my notes here. <laughs> so, um, but uh, the story The Girl and the Chinu tells of a sister and her brothers who happen upon Chinu tracks in the woods. The brothers write it off as bear tracks but the sister laid a basket of berries on a pile of bear skin. When the Chinu showed up, the sister pretended to mistake it for her grandfather. Trying to keep up this illusion, it begins to do tasks for them, such as chopping wood and hunting animals for meat. When the siblings decided to return to their tribe, the Chinu asked them to build a sweat lodge for it. Inside, the Chinu coughed up the icy lump and reverted back to its human form. The girl Chinu tells of a woman who rejected a man's advances, causing the man to seek revenge by turning her into a Chinoo. She immediately notices the changes and forces her family to fire seven arrows into her heart, effectively ending the curse. The story of the great Chinoo, as told by the Passamaquoddy. 
But the Micmac's call, a chinu, is known as known to the Passamaquoddy as a kiwaku, and this is their original origin. When the great big witch first is conquered by the smaller witches, they can kill him or turn him into a kiwaki. He still fights, however, with other kiwakis. When they get ready to fight, they suddenly become as tall as the highest trees. Their weapons are the trees themselves, which are uprooted with great strength. And this strength depends upon the quantity or size of the piece of ice from which the heart of the kiwaki is formed. This piece of ice is like a little human figure with hands and feet and a head and every member perfect. The female kiwaki is more powerful than the male. They make a noise like a roaring lion, but sharper and more frightening. Their abode is somewhere in some cold region of far northern Canada. In summertime, they rub themselves all over with poo-poo-kwa-kwi, or firm balsam. <laughs> poo-poo-wa-ki. <laughs> they rub themselves with poo-poo. <laughs> I knew you were going to go for that. <laughs> give, us the, give us the joke. Oh, I had it turned down. There it is. There we go. <laughs> there it right. goes. Carry on. <laughs> and then roll themselves on the ground so that everything adheres to their body, moss, leaves, and even smaller sticks. This is often seen of by old Indian hunters. Now, just to stop for two seconds, maybe this is the trick to what Sasquatches do, is that they will purposely rub themselves in tree sap so that they can roll around on the ground in leaves and shit and get some better active camouflage. Because I just instantly associated with that with Sasquatch personally. But, anywho, one time, a newly married Indian couple had gone on a long fall and winter hunt. One day, when the man was away, an old Kiwaku came and looked into the wigwam. The wife was frightened, but she made up her mind at once. She called him Matuskal, or my father. The old Kiwaku was very proud to be called father. When she heard her husband returning, she ran out and told him that a great Kiwaku was in the camp and that he must call him father-in-law. So going in, he did this, and the Kiwaku was still more pleased. So they lived with him and hunted with him. He was very skillful in that chase. Uh, When they came to broad and deep waters, the Kiwaku would swim them with his son-in-law on his back. He would run faster than any other wild animal. One day, he told his children to go away to a great distance. There is a great female Kiwaku coming to fight me. In this struggle, I may not know you and may hurt you. So they went away as fast as they could and as far away as they could, but they still heard the fighting. The most frightening noises, howls, yells, and thunders crashing out of the woods and rocks. After a time, the man was determined to see the fight. He went to the location and found a horrible sight. Big trees uprooted, the giants in a deadly struggle. Then the native man, who was very brave and who was afraid that his father-in-law would be killed, came up and helped as much as he could. And in fact, so much that between them, they killed the enemy. The old Kiwaku was badly, but not fatally hurt. And the woman was very glad her father came off victorious. She had always heard that the Kiwaku had a piece of ice for a heart. If this can be taken out, the Kiwaku could be tamed and cured. So she made a preparation or medicine and offered it to him. He did not know what it was, nor its strength, so he swallowed it, and it made him throw up. She saw something drop, and so quietly picked it up. It was the figure of a man of ice. It was the Kiwaku's heart. She, not being seen or noticed, put it in the fire. When he cried, Daughter, you are killing me now. You destroyed my strength. Yet she made him take more of the medicine, and the second heart came out. This she also put on the fire. But when a third came, he grabbed it from her hand and swallowed it. However, he was almost entirely cured. After time, a native village was visited by a Kiwaku, but he was driven away by magic. The people marked crosses on the trees where they expected the Kiwaku to come. There was great excitement among the natives, expecting to hear their strange visitor with his frightful noises. It was the old people who gave him the advice to mark crosses on the trees. Another time, a native from the Passamaquoi tribe was turned into a Kiwaku. The last time he was seen was by a party of native hunters who recognized him. He had only small stripes of clothing. This country, he said, 
is too warm for me. I'm going to a colder one. The story from the Passamaqui manuscript of Mitchell supplies some very important deficiencies in the preceding Micmac version. We are told that the heart of the Chinu is of ice in human figure. This human figure is what is that of the Kiwaki himself, or rather his very self, or microcosm. Of the three vomited by the Kiwaku, two were the hearts of the enemies whom he had conquered. He could not give up his own, however. It is much more, according to common sense, that the woman should have given the cannibal the magic medicine which had him yield his heart than that he should voluntarily have purged himself. In the Micmac tale, he merely relieves his stomach, and in the Passamaqui version, he, by woman's influence, loses his heart of ice. And Shane, thank you for reading all those hard, hard words for us. <laughs> I made my best attempt. Sorry, everybody. Miss, <laughs> you did a good job. <laughs> and this is why we pass that part over to Shane. Pat Salute myself on the back. Our desk, right onto his. <laughs> you, you do this part. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So the next one we're going to talk about is the Giwakwa, spelled G-I-W-A-K-W-A. So Giwakwas are the evil man-eating, here again, ice giants of southern Wabanaki legends, usually associated with the Abenaki, Penobscot, Malasite, and Passamaquoddy tribes. According to most legends, a Giwakwa was once a human being who either became possessed by an evil spirit or committed a terrible crime, especially cannibalism or withholding food from a starving person, causing his heart to turn to ice. In some Abenaki legends, the stone giants were not transformed humans, but primordial man-eating monsters, defeated by the cultural hero Galuscabee. According to the folklore of the Abenaki tribe of the northeastern United States, a Giwakwa was a giant, cannibalistic, half-animal, half-human creature that inhabited the forests and woodlands of the area of present-day New England. Most legends describe them as former humans whose heart turned to ice due to either possession by an evil spirit or commission of some dreadful crime such as cannibalism, or allowing a person to starve. But he doesn't feel regret for his crimes. He only feels hunger. Other Abenaki legends speak of a Senequaki, who were not transformed humans, but man-eating stone giants. According to Frank Speck's 1935 article, Penobscot Tales and Religious Beliefs in the Journal of American Folklore, the word Kiwakwa means going about in the woods. If you don't want to see one of these monsters, stay out of the woods during the winter. The Giwakwa is a human being has, who has been transformed through dark magic into a cannibalistic giant, much like the Incredible Hulk. They are larger as they get angrier, and often tower above the tallest trees. Unlike the Hulk, however, they are emaciated, have enormous fangs, and often eat their own lips in hunger. They are always hungry, and their scream will kill any human who hears it. Sometimes, a dead medicine man of great power may return from his grave as a Giwakwa. Giwakwas also usually appear in the winter, and they get their powers from a lump of human-shaped ice in their stomach. There are several tales where clever people make a Giwakwa vomit up the ice lump, which returns it to its human form. In some stories, making a Giwakwa eat salt will melt the lump. Chopping a Giwakwa into small pieces is the only way to be certain it won't regenerate. And even after it's killed, people will avoid the spot where it died. I kind of appreciate the, uh, I don't know if it's supposed to be like symbolic or if it's like a literal thing, but the whole like, almost like entrapping a soul as like a piece of ice. And that completely makes sense with the salt thing going farther in that, of course, you know, yeah. salt melts ice. So, like, the intention is that you're melting the heart of it. But the problem is, like, if they eat this soul, what happens, like, with the soul if you destroy it? Because, like, assumably if you destroy any of these being souls with, like, salt, like, it's gone forever. But if it's, like, a victim of these creatures and you're accidentally destroying that salt, 
that soul in the process with salt, like what happens to that person that never actually turned? Does their like soul get like destroyed? Like what's, what's like the idea behind that? Like, I'm curious, or do you like release their soul almost because it's not trapped in a piece of ice anymore? I mean, I would like to think that they're released at that point because I mean, if these people were eaten by one of these creatures, they didn't do anything to deserve that. Yeah. I don't know. We need a subject matter expert to come on and tell us about uh, Giwakwas. My question, though, is does a soul, if it could potentially be destroyed, if you could, like, get rid of a soul, like, you hear people about, like, killing demons, things like that. I almost wonder if it, because energy can't be created nor destroyed, I wonder if it just appears, like, in another dimension almost. Like, it's destroyed out of, like, this reality, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't come back in another one, possibly somewhere else. You know what I mean? Like the energy has to go somewhere. It just gets pushed somewhere else. And maybe that like impact of like killing it is what like pushes it into like another dimension is with like that energy pushing it into another direction. Just a weird idea and theory to bounce in, but <laughs> so get diving into the last one, this one um, more so I just threw in out of fun because I found it kind of interesting. So everybody obviously knows about the Rougarou. And for anybody that isn't familiar with that, it's typically the, I guess you could say like Louisiana, like Dogman would probably be a good way to describe it. Um, but it comes from like the French word of like, it's a French word. Rougarou is a French word. But of course, with all of the mixing of culture, um, when it comes to this like weird creature phenomenon, everybody kind of has their own spin on it. So there was the French people that were in the Louisiana area and they had their own folklore about the Rougarou. So in turn, the natives, either it being the same folklore and that it's their perspective of it, or maybe it's something, it's a slight different variation of like what the, what the French people were seeing, but, uh, they have their own version called the Rougarou, which the best way to describe how that's supposed to be said, because I'm assuming I'm saying it correctly, but I'm not 100% sure, is imagine saying Rougarou, but with a native tongue. That's essentially what, what the name of this creature is. But uh, mention eminently the Matisse and Cree tribes, Rougarou, is not actually a Native American word, but rather a mischief pronunciation of the French phrase loup ragrou, meaning wolfman. Some stories about Rougarou come from the French werewolf legends. Some are adaptations of Algonquin Wendigo legends about a man-eating ice monster, but some are combinations of the two. In some Rougarou legends, a mentis person is turned into a Rougarou by catching sight of another Rougarou, not being bit by one, as the French werewolf legend says, or committing crimes of cannibalism or greed, as in the Algonquin Wendigo legends. So this one's kind of interesting because I, at least for me, feel like this one specifically is a blending of different views. Like, I don't think this one is specifically its own creature, but just for the fun of when I was doing the research, I came across this. So just because I found it fascinating, I figured some of you guys might find it interesting too. So I just figured I'd throw yeah. it in there as a, as a yeah. little bonus at the end. Yeah, I think you're totally right, Shane. I mean, kind of like we were talking about earlier, I think this one is, you know, a perfect example of, like we talk about the game of telephone and things being twisted and changed throughout the years and two different legends being kind of all rolled into one. So you've got kind of the, uh, you know, wolf man, dog man type thing and the Wendigo type thing rolled into one legend. And uh, so, you know, I think this is a cool one. It kind of goes back to our previous Dogman series. So I think that's a cool way to kind of tie everything together. Mm -hmm. And which still has the whole transformative aspect to it and then becoming a cannibal. But it's different again from the regular Rougarou legend because this one I found really weird because you turn into it from seeing it. I've never heard of anything like that. Um, the only thing that I found that's relatively close to that, and I'm going to brain fire on the name right now, so I'm not even going to attempt it, but I'll explain the story because I'm sure some of the listeners might know what I'm talking about. But uh, there's this thing that's a Japanese legend about this thing that you see in a field. And it's kind of hard to explain because everybody kind of explains it differently, but you'll see it off at a distance. And it's like this white billowing thing. And as you watch it, you get more in tuned into watching it and it drives you to madness from watching it. So it's not like you turn into it like in this legend, but you actually, I guess, transform like your, your mental, mental status by watching this thing. But it's not very often that you hear about like creatures that like alter your, alter you 
be it mentally or physically from viewing them. Like it was kind of a weird thing. So I just kind of wanted to throw that in there and point that out. Like if anybody else has any other ones, I'm definitely fascinated. So please shoot me a message on social media and let me know. Cause I'd love to dive into this whole, maybe it could be a future episode is creatures that you get it turned into from looking at them. Yeah. Let Medusa. There you Ooh, go. That's, that's another good one. one. Yeah. I totally brain farted on that one and I used to have one tattooed in my arm. So fucking oh, brain fart right. on that one. Thanks guys. <laughs> I should have got it covered up. Yeah, now it now it's Gaia. If anybody was curious, <laughs> well, I had one more thought. It's it's a little bit late, but talking about what happens to um, like the souls or the beings when they get melted by uh, the salt, I think that a lot of uh, Native American cultures do believe in reincarnation. So I don't, I don't know. Maybe you're released and you become somebody else, or, or you're reborn, or. I just imagine there's some type of energy exchange where when you destroy the, like, I just imagine like the ice as being like, what's like almost like the prison for the soul. And once that ice is destroyed, the energy is just released and yeah. it would be back into the ether, back into the, the universe as you would call it. So I'm definitely with you on there for at least as far as like my understanding of like spiritual things, I take it as you're releasing the soul rather than destroying it. But then I'm kind of curious if it's like an evil soul because you have the whole thing with like salt when it comes to the paranormal because I don't know if it fits in with like all the legends, but they talk about how you basically get taken over by like the native by the Wendigo spirit. So I almost wonder if it destroys the native American, if it destroys the Wendigo spirit or the cannibalistic creature spirit or whatever of these creatures all kind of fit into the same category, but it keeps the human soul because the human soul isn't affected by, by salt, but evil souls are affected by salt. If that makes any sense. That makes sense. Yeah. And I think kind of like we were talking about a little bit at the end of the last episode, if you look at a lot of these stories more allegorical and not as just cold, hard, black and white facts. I mean, I think that's a fun way of looking at it. Um, you know, if you're gluttonous or greedy or cannibalistic, uh, your soul gets trapped or just, I mean, like you have a heart of ice, soul. literally. Yeah. It's, it's like selling your soul for greed, basically. And, you know, once you melt the ice, then you can be released. So, I mean, I think these stories work on a lot of different levels. And I think I mentioned this a little bit in the last episode that it seems to me that a lot of this stuff Probably, I think there is some sort of real-world thing, creature, being, whether that's a you know Nephilim, dogman, giant, whatever you want to call it. And then it kind of got folded in with these fables or allegories or whatever you want to call it. And then we get a lot of these legends. So that's kind of where I stand on a lot of this stuff at the moment. I mean, we could all just chop it up to maybe giants don't like the cold, so they go crazy in the cold. <laughs> <laughs> they all just try to move south, and if they don't make it down fast enough, then they just turn fucking crazy, and they're like, fuck, hungry, food, feet, feed me. <laughs> I'm with them, man. So. <laughs> well, they, they sat all the little children around and told these tales, like, don't be a douchebag, or you'll be a wendigo. Yeah. I'm almost curious, yeah. too, if the phrasing, like, your heart's as cold as ice, almost came from mm -hmm. these stories. Like, I'm curious where that, like, dates back to, where that was first said, because it's, I mean, as far as my research into things, I feel like Native American folklore is the first time I've really heard of this like heavy, heavy heart of ice for evil beings concept. Like they, it seems like it's like a reoccurring thing through a lot of different Native folklores that if you're an evil creature, you have a heart of ice. And I'm curious if they picked that up from somewhere else or if they were like the originators of like the whole like a heart of ice concept. Yeah, they picked it up from Foreigner. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you're as cold as ice. They actually secretly had a. Uh, Machines for time traveling, they would go Fuck through those life. portals. Bing bong. Okay, I guess that's playing now too, but <laughs> they're actually fucking walking through portals into the future and they're uh, taking lyrics from songs and hiding it in their folklore like these motherfuckers will never know. But if they know, they'll know that we had in portals. <laughs> if we find like an eight track in a cave or something, we're going to mm. know for sure. That's good. <laughs> I guess uh, with that. We're pretty damn close to an hour, but uh, to give everybody kind of a sneak peek on 
the cool stuff that we're going to be getting into on the next episode, because of course I didn't want to say in the beginning, I wanted you guys to stick around for the end to uh, know what we're going to be getting into. Uh, we're going to be getting into the, uh, the tar man, I guess would be a good way of describing it. Uh, there's other names for it, but I got to leave you guys a little bit with a, with a cliffhanger. And uh, we're going to be talking about something known as Wendigo psychosis. So, and some other stories of Wendigo psychosis. So, if everybody remembers from the first part when I was talking about Swift Runner, uh, this is the part where it's going to be incorporated a lot. We're going to dive a lot more into his story. Uh, for anybody that wants to see what he looks like and stuff, I'll probably incorporate some of the pictures I found on the internet as far as like remains of his family uh, without being too graphic, of course. Uh, but the last part, I think you guys are really going to enjoy it, especially if you've stuck around this this long. So uh, let us know, of course, if you guys do enjoy stuff like this, because obviously there's a lot harder words for us to pronounce. So hopefully it's not too annoying if we do different types of folklore. Um, if you guys get annoyed with us trying to pronounce a bunch of stuff, maybe we'll stick more to English worded things to make it a little bit easier for everybody listening wise and us verbally. <laughs> it's going to make it easier for you to edit too. <laughs> that too. <laughs> All right. And on that note, guys, um, again, if you want to reach out to us through social media, the email, the uh, link tree submission form, any of that good stuff. We're always looking for suggestions for guests, topics, um, anything that anybody wants to contribute to the show in any way. Do the internet things, and there we go. And if you guys enjoyed this episode, don't forget to take an extra five seconds to rate us on Spotify, or you can take an extra 30 seconds to leave us a review on iTunes, which we will definitely give you a shout out and read on the show. And uh, if you know somebody specifically that will enjoy this episode, word of mouth is always a great way to help the show grow. And uh, we definitely appreciate it. Okay. And everything is listed in the link tree in the show notes, guys. I've been shirtless and possibly pantless. Shane. <laughs> I've been Iceman Orin Felix. And I've been Brawless Jenny. <laughs> and we're the Bizarre Crew. And don't be afraid to uh, keep it bizarre, everybody. Bizarre. 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 Um, bizarre? Where? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>